Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Judge Roger T. Benitez has struck down three California gun laws in the past three years, taking a spotlight in the national gun rights debate. We'll learn more about the United States District Judge right after the news. COVID-19 hospitalizations have doubled across much of California over the last two weeks. Increases have been seen in Los Angeles, San Diego, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties, according to state data. California as a whole has seen its total number of hospitalized coronavirus patients grow from 2,981 on July 5th to 5,973 as of Sunday. Hundreds of homeless people living on the streets of downtown San Diego a month ago have moved into shelters following weeks of city outreach. The effort began June 28th and ended July 23rd. During that time, 476 people entered shelters and 24 people matched with housing or are waiting on referrals. Despite the effort, more than 1,000 people are still living on the streets in downtown San Diego. Gubernatorial recall candidate Larry Elder spoke at a San Diego Republican event Monday night. He said if elected, he would declare a state of emergency on homelessness, increase California's water supply, and promote school choice. Elder is a conservative radio host and Republican who is a leading candidate to replace Governor Gavin Newsom if Newsom is recalled in the September 14th recall election. For many years, Judge Roger T. Benitez handled routine cases in San Diego federal court without commanding much attention. But then, over the course of three years, he made a name for himself by upending California's gun laws and becoming a central figure in national gun debates. In 2019, he blocked a ban on magazines that hold more than 10 bullets. In 2020, he struck down background checks for ammunition purchases. And earlier this year, he overturned California's 30-year ban on assault weapons. LA Times reporter Laura J. Nelson and Union Tribune reporter Christina Davis wrote a profile of Benitez pulling back the curtain on this influential San Diego judge. Laura, you wrote that the way Judge Benitez came to have so much sway over gun laws in California was kind of random. Can you explain how he found himself in that position? Yeah, that's right. So um, in 2017, Judge Benitez was assigned the large capacity magazine lawsuit. And then um, in the next two years, he ended up with three other Second Amendment cases. And that's because of a court rule that um, allows either side in San Diego federal court to request that their case be heard by a judge who has previous experience on the topic. So that might mean like if you have previously handled something really complicated regarding like Uh, money laundering or, you know, campaign finance or whatever else the topic might be, scientific patents, um, then you might end up with other cases in that arena because you have some kind of basic knowledge about the way that that topic works. Um, But in this case, um, Benitez ended up with a number of Second Amendment cases. Um, And gun control advocates have argued that that rule has worked to the benefit of gun rights groups and that these groups are, in fact, what we call judge shopping, which is filing Second Amendment cases specifically in this district in an effort to get a more favorable hearing with a judge that they know has a a relatively pro-Second Amendment bent. So Benitez declined to be interviewed for this profile, but you were able to speak to many um, attorneys and judges, just some of his colleagues about him. What did you learn from them? 
the the folks in the legal community who we spoke to, I should say first off that the vast majority of them were not willing to speak on the record for this story, partly because, you know, um, Benitez is still on the federal bench and is still hearing some cases, although he is now semi-retired. So there was a concern among some attorneys that, you know, that, that, that speaking with the press on the record could... Um, somehow harm their professional relationship with him or uh, the way that their cases are treated in court. Um, that being said, um, we heard from a number of folks in the legal community in San Diego that Benitez uh, tends to be um, somewhat prickly toward attorneys in his courtroom, especially towards defense attorneys who've overturned his rulings on appeal. Um, he has been described as kind of thin-skinned and in some cases punitive, particularly against the lawyers who've managed to appeal cases up to the Ninth Circuit, which is the court that handles appeals from Benitez's courtroom and have won, uh, won those cases there. We also, um, I did talk to a few judges who spoke very highly of him, you know, as, uh, as, as colleagues, right? Um, and they did call him um, hardworking and, and extremely ethical and, um, you know, off the bench, very sociable. I think someone called him a, a social gadfly. Um, so uh, there are definitely mixed opinions. Um, and kind of going off what, what Laura said, this was a very difficult story to report, really, because it was hard to get people to speak candidly about him on the record um, for reasons that 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 we can completely understand. Um, you know, I think we were expecting to to come against that. Um, but I think that uh, we did get a pretty good uh, picture of his reputation in the um, San Diego legal community and it is mixed. Yeah, he, as you wrote, he does have a reputation for being tough, um, you know, but also his cases are overturned um, at a fairly high rate compared to his peers. You reviewed um, his, his record as a judge. What did you learn? Well, when it comes to um, the reversal rate, which you just mentioned, um, uh, I did a pretty narrow analysis um, really to try to compare him to, like you said, his peers as much as possible. And so I took a 10-year chunk of, you know, right in the middle of his career um, that he was an active judge, not a senior judge like he is now, um, and looked at uh, the rate in the, those 10 years that he was reversed where he had negative findings at the Ninth Circuit. And um, that number was about 14%. Um, I compared that with the same time period um, to five other judges at the Southern District who were nominated by Bush as well. Um, and that range, the, the, the total range is 9% uh, to 15%. So Benitez wasn't the, the most reversed, but he was kind of in that upper, um, that upper range. Um, all that being said, reversal rates, they're not, you know, the end all be all of, of you know, judging a, a, a jurist record. Um, and I, I talked to a law professor who said, you know, anything above 20% would, would really be troubling to legal experts. So this was um, below that 20% threshold. We also found that in the Southern District, uh, Benitez 
gives out the strictest sentences of the judges on the 17 judges on the bench there. And that's according to um, a nonpartisan research center at Syracuse University that collects all this interesting data about federal judges, including how many cases do they handle, what the sentences are, kind of the topics that move through their courtroom. And this, this group found that over a five-year period, Benitez sentenced 840 defendants and his average sentence was 40.1 months. And that is nearly 72% higher than the average in the district as a whole. So kind of a significant uh, difference. And he has described himself in, in a profile done by the, the legal newspaper, The Daily Journal. He described himself as, quote, tough all the time and said, quote, I don't think anybody would say that I'm soft or easy. And the, the data on his sentencing certainly seems to back that up. Well, and that was also something we heard um just anecdotally in a lot of our interviews um, with other lawyers. So it was um, it was nice that we could actually look at the, the data there and, um, and see what the data actually said on that. When he was first nominated by George W. Bush, uh, the American Bar Association gave him a rating of not qualified. You wrote in your story that that is pretty uncommon. Why wasn't he qualified? So this is an investigation um, that's done for every judge who's nominated for what's called an Article Three appointment, which is a lifetime judicial appointment. And the ABA has an investigator who uh, looks into the background of the judge in question. And they look at um, several different factors, including you know, ethics, um, work ethic, um, education and kind of and kind of grasp of the legal system as well as uh, questions of judicial temperament and the ABA investigator who looked into Benitez f- found that um, in confidential conversations with with both judges and lawyers he found that 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 investigation yielded more negative comments about Benitez than any of his 60 previous investigations into other judicial nominees. And they they found that, I'll just read this direct quote, um, he told the Senate Judiciary Committee in 2004 that, quote, all too frequently, while on the bench, Judge Benitez is arrogant, pompous, condescending, impatient, short-tempered, rude, insulting, bullying, unnecessarily mean, and altogether lacking in people skills. So this this uh, this uh, panel at the ABA found that, you know, there were no other real questions raised about those other categories that I mentioned, but when it came to judicial temperament and his demeanor in the courtroom, the California legal community had deep concerns about whether he was qualified. And um, the panel of, of, of um, ABA members who voted on whether he was qualified, a substantial majority of them decided that he was not. And that's quite rare. Since 1989, which is when the ABA started reporting more transparent data about these analyses, the group has only found about 1% of candidates to be not qualified out of more than 1,600 people that they've evaluated. Benitez was born in Cuba and lived briefly under Fidel Castro. And and in your story, some of his colleagues speculated that it may have shaped his philosophy on guns and, and personal freedoms. What did they have to say about how that experience might have shaped him as a person and as a judge? Yeah, so um, Judge Benitez actually has a a really compelling um, story when it comes to his childhood. Um, I think he was around, you know, nine or 10 um, when uh, the the revolution happened and Castro came into power. Um, And, you know, that was that was a really. you know, insecure time, you know, for everyone um, in Cuba. And, uh, 
the Castro regime really upended um, this like, comfortable middle class life that that he and his family had there. Um, I I was told that you know he and his brother had gone to, to private school, and you know one day they were boarding the bus to go to their school like usual, and they were met by you know armed revolutionaries who just said you know nope the private school's closed. You guys are going to public school now. Um, there were instances where, uh, you know, the, the Castro regime would basically go to these public schools and pull kids out of their classrooms and um, question students about, you know, has your, have your parents said anything, um, you know, against the, the Castro regime? You know, is there anything that we need to maybe clear up for them that they've been questioning, you know, kind of gently probing to see um, if, uh, if their parents were on board or not. Um, and the kids who spilled the beans, you know, apparently there'd be armed people who would show up at their doors, you know, a day or two later and take parents away for questioning. And something like that apparently happened with Benitez's mother where um, some armed men came to the door and took her away uh, without saying where she was being taken or why. And um, for three days, she was just gone and they had no clue what had happened to her. Um, and then she, she returned back home. Um, so Benitez um, was told, I guess, at around the age of 10 that um, he and his brother were getting on a plane the next day and going to live with an uncle they'd never met in Miami. Um, and that was right in the beginning days of the Peter Pan um, operation to um, ferry a lot of Cuban children uh, off, off the island and into the U.S. So shortly after Fidel Castro came to power in Cuba, he set up a network of what he described as, quote, revolutionary collective vigilance committees. These are more commonly known as the Committees for the Defense of the Revolution, which are kind of a, a network of neighborhood and even block by block committees um, across the country that are described as the eyes and ears of the revolution and of the administration. Um, and these members who were at the time covert members of the Communist Party, now I think it's far more well known, um, began going door to door in their neighborhoods asking um, neighbors to surrender their firearms and other weapons. And um, a professor at the University of Florida, who I spoke to about this, said that, um, you know, that there's a very fine line between kind of being asked to do something and being coerced to do something, especially in the early days of the Castro regime. And families that would refuse to hand over their firearms often found themselves reported to the country's intelligence service, the, the, the secret police for investigation and, and often quite dire consequences. So, um, one gun rights attorney we uh, spoke to for this profile said that, um, that that experience has has helped shape the way that Benitez used guns and access to guns in the United States because he watched what this person described as tyranny really up close and personal. Um, and that has emerged in some of his more recent rulings where he talks about the, important, the importance of having, um, you know, a well-armed militia. Um, in his assault weapon ban ruling, which he released in June, he wrote that the uh, the ban violates the Second Amendment in part because um, not having access to AR-15 rifles could force militias to settle for weapons that he described as, quote, less than ideal. 
Um, and this is a line of thinking that, that gun control advocates have found quite alarming because they say that it's a slippery slope, that um, if, you, if you take this type of argument seriously, that there's no limiting principle on the types of firearms that people can own at home, then um, what can't people be allowed to possess? Can people have tanks? Can people have anti-aircraft missiles? Can people have machine guns? Um, and again, this is something that... Um, Benitez's friends have described as, as a formative event in his life that's helped shape the way that he views firearm policy in the U.S. and from his view on the bench. Okay, so, th so those are these three uh, gun rulings that, you know, he, he came down with from 2019 to even this year. Where do those stand? So all three of those rulings um, are at the Ninth Circuit um, in some different stages. Um, the Ninth Circuit actually upheld uh, one of the rulings um, on a, a three-judge panel. That's, that's kind of the first pass you get at the Ninth Circuit is you get a, a randomly selected panel of three judges to hear the case. Um, and they actually upheld uh, one of the rulings, but um, uh, the, the larger Ninth Circuit um, did vote to um, rehear the case um, in a, a, a larger panel, an en banc panel. Um, so they held arguments on that, um, I would like to say like two months ago maybe, uh, and I did listen to those. And so now we're waiting for, for a ruling um, from the en banc uh, Ninth Circuit on that, and they could, they could overturn it or they can uphold it. Um, one of the other uh, rulings has been on hold Actually, two two of the rulings now are on hold at the Ninth Circuit, too, for other reasons. Basically, there are some other similar Second Amendment cases um, kind of out there in, in the Ninth Circuit. Um, uh, in, other, in L.A., I think, is one of them. And they're waiting to decide those cases first because they think that deciding those cases will then affect how these other cases are decided. So there's a little bit of a a domino effect um, that we have here, uh, and it could take a while um, to hear, uh, you know, what comes of those. And um, interestingly, there's also another case, um, unrelated, um, out of New York that is um, set to be heard by the Supreme Court um, this season. And um, from what I've heard, is is the Supreme Court's ruling on that case depending on how they go, could have a significant effect on all of these other Second Amendment um, cases that are kind of in, in the works in the pipeline. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what happens next. You can find more news online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening.